For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what it is, what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work of his great might, that he, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Hey, you guys. How are you? Um, yeah, you guys are okay? You guys are good? Okay, that's good. Um, yeah, my name is Ben, like Fletcher had mentioned, and I wish you wouldn't have embarrassed me about my race yesterday. It was, it was fun. It was actually really refreshing to get out and like see people running. Um, and yeah, I got to see um, Michael, right, and Alex and Serena, is that it? Okay, yeah, at the race as well, so that was fun. Um, yeah, if you're interested in running, let's do it. I'm, I'm all about it. I love running in the morning. It's a lot of fun. But um, yeah, like I said, my name is Ben, and I'm actually the uh, director of worship here, so normally you um, find me uh, singing or playing guitar or leading our church in songs of hymns and praises. Um, and I love doing that. I absolutely find that to be a joy. Um, and so, but I do love also the fact that I uh, am able to do this at times, and I'm very thankful and honored, and I take it, I don't take this opportunity lightly to come and bring you the word from the Lord. I don't take that as a, as a willy-nilly thing. I, I think that there's a lot of weight to the, the scripture, and I want to do my best to articulate that weight. I want to do my best to... Um, in some ways, feed you what the scripture has to say, because it has such a strong implication for how we live our lives. And so I'm, I am very thankful um, to the Lord for this opportunity to be here before you um, to preach God's word from Ephesians 1, 15 through uh, 23. Thank you, Rebecca, for reading that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think what we're going to do is sort of start and as I was thinking about how to start this sermon, I wanted to start with a heart of thankfulness um, for my brother Fletcher and his ability to, up till this point, really bring to the, to the table some weighty things that the Apostle Paul has had to say. I mean, how have you guys been feeling about the book of Ephesians up until this point? Uh, it's, it's been very encouraging to my own heart, and I hope it has been to your heart also. But Fletcher has been laboring and uncovering for us. He's been laboring uh, to uncover the beautiful realities of Ephesians 1, um, verses 1 through 14. They're uncovered for us, these beautiful realities. Um, the fact that in love we have been adopted into his family, that through his blood we have been redeemed and forgiven all of our sins, 
that we have been lavished, right? There's that word lavished in grace, like God in grace has lavished upon us his grace and his mercy and kindness. And that we have obtained an, an eternal inheritance, uh, an, an, an eternal inheritance predestined according to the counsel of his will, and that we have been, uh, up till last week, he preached the fact that we have been sealed, right? We've been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Church, those are some, those are some truths that when taken in should change everything about the way we live our lives. But the question I have is, how, how, have, how have those things been treating you this past week? The, the fact that you've been adopted, redeemed, lavished in grace, that, that, he, has, that he has so uh, forgiven you of your sins through the blood of Jesus, that he has, sealed, that he has uh, blessed you with an eternal inheritance, that he has sealed you with his spirit. What, what has that, how has that affected you um, this week? last past week, or since we started Ephesians, has that affected you at all? They are unfathomable, but they are rich, they are beautiful, and they are true, and they reconfigure and reorient the ways we view God and ourselves as we embrace them with faith. But I just know how we work. And a lot of times, and I believe Paul is stressing this in our text today, we know a lot of things but we don't really know them. And you're like, well, what you just said doesn't make any sense, really. I mean, we know a lot of things, but we don't really know them. Uh, I'll never forget um, guiding my little brother, um, his, my little brother's hand onto his first roller coaster ride. Um, now, now I, I explained to him, actually, I was picking fun with him, too, because I knew what was going to happen. It was his first roller coaster ride. I explained the whole thing clearly to him before getting on the ride. I said, now they don't call this ride the raging bull for no reason. Okay? This thing is raging like a bull. It is one of the fastest roller coasters at this park. I explained to him all the safety features about the ride, assuring him that he will be safe and there's nothing there's nothing bad that's going to happen. Many, many, many people have gone on this ride and nothing terrible has happened. I explained all of that to him. I gave him all of that knowledge, all of that information. It was a three-hour line, so I had a lot of time to explain these things to him. I said, so this first loop kind of feels like this. And the second one has this kind of feeling to it. And sometimes it kind of feels like your face is getting ripped off. And other times, it's kind of calm and relaxing, I explained to him. My brother was somewhat comforted by my explanations, but he was still very nervous. And as I saw this in his, in his eyes, uh, as the line grew shorter and shorter, his anxiety grew larger and larger. Why? Well, because the knowledge I gave to him was about to convert into something altogether different. He was about to actually experience this ride. And he did, though he cried the whole way through. Uh, like my little brother's experience at the Raging Bull, Paul today wants us to 
get on the coaster, to experience the gospel. He wants the knowledge in our head to affect the desires of our heart. He wants the knowledge in our head to affect the desires of our heart. And this is my prayer for us this morning. This is what this whole thing is about this morning. This is my prayer. Actually, I've been praying for our church this very thing. That through the Spirit, the knowledge of the love of Christ would change the desire of your heart. That the knowledge of the love of Christ would change the desire of your heart. That's what I want for us, church. Because what is the love of Christ if it does not change the desires of our heart? Well, it means you don't really believe, first of all, that he loves you in such a way. So let's, let's get moving through this before I go down some major rabbit holes. Uh, in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 15 and 16 here of our text, and uh, we'll give this some attention, but not much. But um, Paul's love and affection for this church is contagious. If you read verses 15 and 16, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers so just a note on this, both faith and love spill out from the people in this church. And Paul is joyful and thankful for that. Faith and love, when they're spilling out of a church, it's a mark of a healthy church. The church, we want faith and love here in our church. Paul's overjoyed to see the gospel take such an effect. And we ourselves should be strengthened by faith and love other brothers and, and as we love other brothers and sisters in Christ. So he starts out by saying, I'm thankful for you. And then he moves into a prayer. That's, we're going to spend most of our time today unpacking Paul's prayer in verses 17 through 19. Let's take a look at that. So Paul moves from a spirit of thankfulness to a prayer, and he prays for the church. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? I don't know if you've noticed up till this point, but this is, if not the longest sentence in the Bible, and Paul simply does not stop giving us knowledge dumps. Like he, he dumps knowledge into our heads like there are all these things about who we are in Christ that we don't even realize until we start reading and taking a hold of it but it is a knowledge dump like did any of you just follow that verses 17 through through 19 I mean it all like 
it's just so heavy. It's almost like every verse is worth of a sermon. Uh, I actually almost called Fletcher halfway through the week and said, hey, can we just like break this like completely in half? I, this is a lot of, these are a lot of words, but I think actually as I thought more about it, they flow really well together and we don't want to break the flow of it. But I would encourage you to spend time in Ephesians. I think it's a good book for meditation. You could spend a whole year in the book of Ephesians meditating and, and come out knowing so much more about your Savior and His love for you. But let's look at, let's look at this prayer. Let's look at, so let's start at verse 17. Just a note here. All wisdom and understanding are gifts from God given through His Spirit. All wisdom and understanding. These are all gifts, right? Given to God through His Spirit. Um, this does not come from me. This does not come from you. This does not come from any one of us in here, but it comes from the Spirit of God, right? That's His grace. In grace, God reveals Himself to us. And let's notice what, he, what Paul says here in verse 18. He prays that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened. Now, I'd like to, I'd like to uh, take a second and um, let's think through what he doesn't say in verse 18. Now, he doesn't say this, that you may have your heads full of knowledge, that you may know uh, that you are the smartest people. He doesn't say that you may um, have your heads full of all this knowledge so that you may know that you are the smartest people. That's been tried before, and actually, um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how they walk around and they're kind of puffed up. Like, knowledge puffs up. That's what it does. But Christians are not to be puffed up. They're not to be puffed up. He doesn't say that you may know, have your heads full with all this stuff so you can be the smartest people. No, he prays something totally different. He prays that the church might have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. And this will be a helpful phrase in helping us understand the rest of this text. We must not miss this point. We must not move past this too quickly because knowledge for the sake of knowledge is vain. We should never think that to be a Christian is to just know a bunch of things. Paul wants the knowledge of Christ to do something to us. Um, it reminds me a lot about how music works, actually. If, uh, you don't have to be musical to let it do something to you. But if you're driving and you're listening um, to the radio as background noise, and it doesn't, and that, that's fine. I, I know a lot of people who do that too. But if you actually take headphones and listen to music, and you let it actually do what it's supposed to do, it actually sort of starts to, it, it, it becomes different, doesn't it? When you listen to music, when you actually pay attention to what it, it, it becomes something different. It's not just, um, like if you were to listen, I'm, I'm a big fan of Radiohead, I don't know if anybody in here is, but if you were to just look at his notes on a sheet of paper and just sit there and look at the notes, that's one thing. But if you were to put the headphones on and let that thing take you somewhere, that's a totally different experience. That's, that's knowledge transforming into experience. And that's really what Paul wants for us. And that's why he wants the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened, to let the knowledge of Christ change the very desires of our hearts. 
How can we better understand this in regards to the hope of our calling? Because he makes three connections to this enlightenment. He says, uh, he says that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you might know. So that you might know. Know what? Well, the hope of your calling, the riches, uh, the riches of your inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of God's power. So the Spirit must enlighten our hearts so that we might know, which the word know there means actually experience. Okay? So that we might know. How can we better understand this idea in regards to the first piece here, which is that we might know the hope of our calling. Uh, a movie that came to mind, you know, preparing for sermons is weird. Sometimes you think of things and you're like, should I say this or should I not? And I ended up just putting this in here and I think it might fit. But I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. It's called Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, this is one of Steve Carell's I don't know if it's his film. That's the guy I think of, though, because he's in it, and he's the best <laughs> in everything. Uh, but in one of Steve Carell's films called Little Miss Sunshine, there's a moving scene where a boy named Dwayne, who's kind of a dark, depressed, like he hates everybody kind of character, um, a boy named Dwayne is he's startled by, a life, by life-changing information. He has lived his whole life for one thing, and that one thing was to one day fly jet planes. To fly jets is what he lived for. He would spend his days reading books, planning, training, and dreaming about what it would feel like one day to fly these jets. It's all he thought about. It was all consuming. During a chaotic road trip in a VW van with his family across the country, he found out some startling information. He found out that he was colorblind. This information led to a major breakdown as he discovered if he was colorblind, he would not be able to fly jets. He forced the van to stop. He ran as fast as far as he could, screaming his lungs out and beating his chest. He knew that if he was colorblind, he was unable to fly jet. The knowledge of this went from his brain to his heart very quickly because the knowledge poisoned his hope. The knowledge of his blindness killed his hope, the hope of his calling, which was to fly jets. I was paralyzed by this information. He had hope. What was his hope? To fly jets. The information that came was it, it stopped. It stopped him. He could not. No, he can't live for that hope any longer because of the knowledge he had. The apostle Paul wants the knowledge of the beauties of Christ to have the same effect. He wants the knowledge to go from our heads to our hearts. But the hope we are called to is nothing like the hope Dwayne had. The reason his heart was so defeated was because he was putting his hope in the wrong thing. The hope of our calling is Christ himself, who will not fail us. In many ways, the desires of our hearts are tied to the hope of our calling. And you may believe strongly that you are called to great things, maybe to be a great uh, musician. I know, and, and, and I'm not saying to be a great musician is nothing to aspire to, that's that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that um, as a musician, you are called to Christ. 
And actually, your calling to Christ will make you a better musician because you won't put your hopes in being the best musician. Your hope is ultimately in Christ, which will lead you to be a better musician or physician or whatever it is that you are longing to be. Maybe it's an athlete. See, as you put your hope in Christ, you're able to pursue the things you love in a greater way because when that thing fails you, well, oh well, it wasn't my ultimate hope anyways. Christ Jesus is my ultimate hope. He does not fail me. These other things, if we tie the desires of our hearts to these other things, we live for them, that hope will fail us. And we'll be distraught, just as Duane was distraught. Church, Paul is instructing us to live for the right reasons, to let the knowledge of the love of Christ guide the desires of our hearts. And the heart, it's a complicated thing, and I think Paul understands it, but he knows this about the heart. It wants, and it wants, and it wants, and it wants. It's not easily satisfied. Always attaching, always detaching to new things, to new ideas. This is why I'm stressing this idea that the desires of our hearts need to change. They need to change because they're tied to the wrong things. And Paul's trying to tie our hearts to the right things. What are you living for? What does your heart want? These are hard things to understand because we so unconsciously live in this world of wanting. And Paul is... Paul's desire for us is to see the knowledge of the love of Christ change the desire of our heart so that we want what he wants. And that's tied to the hope of our calling. It's also tied to this idea of the riches of our inheritance in verse 18b. We are, all, we are to let the riches of our inheritance take root in our hearts. And Paul knew a thing or two about the heart. He knew that this word riches didn't even need to filter through the brain to get to the heart. Because it's immediately accepted and it's immediately lived for. We see the word riches and we're immediately sucked in. Why is that? Well, because we want to be rich. We want, we want to have a good life and we know riches will get us a good life and we live for it almost instantaneously. But the thing is, is when Paul uses the word riches, he's not talking about the same riches we live for. He's not talking about worldly, earthly riches that we so often find ourselves living for. He's not talking about that. He's talking about something totally different. Paul was not rich. He was poor. In fact, he was, he was worse than poor. He was beaten with rods. He was put in prison. But what do we see in the life of Paul that's so interesting is that while he's in prison, he's singing songs of praise. He's rich. He is rich. He's put in prison and he's singing songs of praise. We put our hope in earthly riches, but Paul is praying that we take a good hold of the riches that we have in Christ. Notice here in verse 18b, the riches of this inheritance is in the saints. Is in the saints. When God saved us, he made us as members of his household. And he gave us gifts to one another. Each brother and sister is a portion of my gospel inheritance from God. And I am a portion of their inheritance as well. 
It is in relationship with one another that we experience the fullness of God in Christ. It is in relationship with one another that we experience the fullness of God in Christ. Church, I need you. Um, This glorious inheritance is in the saints. It is Christ, but it's also his body. It's his Christ's body, which is you. Which, guess what? I want that for you, and I want that for me. I want the love of Christ to change the desires of our hearts so that we stop living for ourselves and we start living for each other as a church, as his body. We're called to that. This knowledge of Christ affects everything. The experience of that is seen as we love one another as he so loved us. The greatest commandment in Scripture is to love God and to love neighbor. In other words, the greatest commandment in Scripture is love. And that's what we're called to do as brothers and sisters in the church. What does it mean to experience the gospel together? What does it mean to have the desires of our heart change in such a way that we only live for the love of Christ and no other false hopes, just him? What does it mean to love? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that love is a lot of things. He says that it's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. I need to talk to Levi and Calvin about that one. It's, it's not rude. He's been telling me lately, hey, you're, you're, you're old, or he says rude things to me. Think of this in the context of our body, though, because the glor- this glorious inheritance is in the saints. Think of how we love, like this is what we are to do with one another. We are to love one another as we have been so affected by the love of Christ. We love one another. And we live for this thing. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. That's something that I need to meditate on. It does not insist on its own way. Wow. I'm so about my own way. (laughs) I'm even thinking through this week how often I live for my own way because my desires are pulled in different different selfish ways i'm so pulled to my i'm so pulled to to the selfish desires of my own heart but love does not insist on its own way it's not irritable it's not resentful it does not rejoice in wrongdoing it rejoices in truth it bears all things believes, hopes, and endures all things. And the love of Christ, church, is contagious. The love of Christ is contagious. As we heard that beautiful call to worship, He bears our burdens. He carries the weight. And we are affected by that in such a way that we carry each other's burdens and we carry each other's weight. And that's just like, that's very true. It's just very hard. Because Christ is calling us to deny ourselves. Which is very unnatural for us to think through. Because we are very about ourselves. But through the Spirit, through the knowledge of the love of Christ, our hearts are changed. Here at City on a Hill, Somerville, uh, something that we're really... um, 
trying to press into is this idea of receiving grace so that we may give grace, receiving and giving. Because unless we receive it, we don't really have anything to give. So we need to receive grace, and then we give it. And we share that with one another in this body. The whole of our church life is a matter of receiving grace and giving it to one another. So that we might have the hearts that are the hearts of our eyes, the eyes of our hearts enlightened, so that we might know the hope of our calling, uh, the riches of the inheritance which is in the saints, and lastly, what is the immeasurable, the sorry, the greatness of His immeasurable power. We have that knowledge. Paul wants this power to change the way we live our lives. He wants the knowledge. He wants this knowledge, the knowledge of Christ's resurrection, verse 20a. Christ's ascension, verse 20b. Christ's ruling and reigning, verse 21. Christ is the head, the sustainer of the church, verses 22 through 23. He wants the knowledge of the greatness of his immeasurable power to go from our heads to our hearts, church. God the Father has exercised His almighty power through His Son toward us who believe. If you look at verse 19b, there's that little phrase is very important to see. God exercises His power toward us who believe. Toward us who believe. This is the power of God's salvation, as we see in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation. Toward us who believe. That's, that's grace, right? That's God's grace, that he would exercise this power, the, the death, the resurrection, and the, the ascension of his son toward us who believe. The same power that raised and seated Jesus is the same power that is at work in us as we love one another and as we build, other, as we build each other up as we are the body. So, as we've been moving through this, we've been seeing... Uh, that, the, that the knowledge of the love of Christ changes the desires of our hearts. And we've been seeing also that it might be possible and may take some self-examination to think through what your heart wants. Um, and and what, what information are you taking in that is actually changing those desires in your hearts? And are you actually believing in this gospel in the love of Christ. So as we conclude, I just had a few questions um, that I think are, are worth thinking through as we think through this text. Uh, but I'm going to read it for us one more time before I ask those questions. Uh, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, I have because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly fa- in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in the age, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Are we willing as a church family to experience the beauties of this, of the gospel together? by showing love to one another? Are we willing to, are we ready to let the love of Christ um, take such effect in our hearts? Are we, you know, I think we should be praying this over our church and for our church body, that the Spirit would do the work of, of, uh, of that the Spirit would do the work of this, of taking a hold of the truth of the love of Christ, that we might love one another in this church body. And I believe that that is a very, uh, that is a very, attractive thing and a contagious thing for our church to be thinking about as we move through the book of Ephesians. Because through the book of Ephesians, it's really about, there's a lot of it that's about church, a unity in the church, wrapped around the love of Christ, wrapped around the love of Christ. And so as we go through the book of Ephesians, just be prepared to uh, kind of be on this, um, you know, as we think through the body and how it functions uh, that's a, a huge theme of the book, which I'm really, really excited about. So let's pray and conclude our time together. Lord, I just pray that through your spirit, the knowledge of the love of Christ would change the desires of our hearts. That you would do that in the lives of these people. That we would be so affected and changed by your love. You have loved us in such a way. It is just so contagious. I pray, God, that you would do this work in our church, that we would know and experience your love in new ways. That we might, we might, show, we might show off to the world what this love can do through us, even us. I, uh, I, I'm thankful, God, for this word, and I, I pray you'd be with the rest of our time here this morning as we worship and honor your great name. Amen.